Hey you, you're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time. Patrick Pantland, Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, and Chris Murphy, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow superfan hosts. I'm Rob, this is Ken, and Ken, I am so excited today to talk with you about Sloan. It's been a little while, hasn't it? It's been it's a minute. It's been a minute. It has been. <laughs> it's been a couple of minutes. Thank you, listener, for hanging in there. We've had a little bit of a lull in the episodes, but we're back, and uh, we hope you enjoy this one. I think this is going to be a two-parter. We've decided that, Ken, you think? It's. I think any time we take on the project of talking about songs, mm. then we can just forget what we're going to do forget about what we're going to do for the rest of the day because you know it, it seems as though it doesn't really matter how long the list of songs is um as soon as we start to take individual tracks and look at them in detail yeah you know there's there's no stopping us but i think uh this particular project uh is fitting to be a two-parter says i now as as probably you're looking at this and seeing a three-parter in the future, but um. <laughs> we'll see man i mean we'll, we're you know what listener we're just going to ramble on about specific sloan songs we've actually been talking about the concept of these episodes for a while knowing and hoping that we would eventually get to 30 episodes and i know there are a lot of podcasts out there and you know most of them surpass 30 episodes pretty handily yeah. uh, but this is a big deal for us to get to 30 in a year and, yeah, uh, for sure. And especially right now, right? We're closing off the 30th anniversary year of mm. of the greatest band of all time. It's and timely. in commem that's right. And in commemoration of this, we wanted to try out a novel format for the 30th episode. I do want to take a quick aside here for a moment and just mention something. So a couple of weeks ago, the band played in Toronto at the Phoenix. They did a double header, uh, two shows, sorry, three shows over two days. Um, I was overjoyed to be asked to do merch <laughs> and for the occasion i made myself a little sloan cast hat that i wore and um <laughs> and so many of you out there listening uh came over and said hello and murph was actually nice enough both days to mention our show and to point me out and to have people come over to say hi and stuff so um obviously it would have been amazing had ken been there too um but uh, uh i want to pass along everybody's hello to you as well um because so many oh, people wanted to say hi to you as well and so thanks for coming up and you know i just took to mention a couple of people julian bianca will adam emily so many people who uh those are the names that are off the top of my head who've come over and you know expressed that they really like the show and stuff. So thanks for listening, you guys out there. And if I didn't mention somebody, uh, my apologies, but uh, just wanted to put that out there, that it was such a pleasure uh, to meet everybody in person and to hear, you know, what you think of the show and that you're excited about it. Uh, you know, so that's just the best. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks. And it's we wonderful love, to meet you guys. We we love hearing from you guys. So feel free to, uh, as the, the Gen Zers say, just slide into our DMs whenever you feel like it and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and let us know what you think or what you're feeling. Every once in a while, somebody will be in there, you know, talking to Sloan about us and, and Ken and I will be rabid with our responses. And, uh, you know, we'll oftentimes getting people, you know, get people saying things like, oh, I'm, go I'm going on and on about Sloan again. And you know what? This, our DMs on the Sloancast account is the exact place that you should be doing that uh, or in the comments. Uh, <laughs> and if yeah. anybody out there, I, I think I know, Ken, you and I have spoken about having some super fans on the show. Hopefully those will be some episodes coming up along with our other guests and album topics and that kind of thing. So, uh, for sure. Yeah. I, I feel this is also a, definitely, this is a good segue. So, um, to the, to the idea at hand today, because yeah. this is for me a, a topic that a lot of super fans of the band face, uh, frequently. And, 
you know, you've, you've, you might have been in the situation in which you're trying to get a friend into Sloan and or convince them of how great uh, Sloan is and how they're, for you know, for, for us, the greatest band of all time, the G-Boat. Uh, I know I frequently find myself in this situation because very few people know of the band here in Europe. Um, but, you know, you try to explain the band's greatness with the normal selling points like, okay, it's all four original members, they have 12 studio albums, all four of them are singer-songwriters and multi-instrumentalists, um, they split the songwriting duties evenly and everything evenly in the band, you know, Andrew Scott is the greatest dr- drummer in the history of music, uh, things like that. But, you know, words don't do the music justice and even just playing someone an album from front to back i feel often doesn't even cut it because which album do you even choose like where do you start so to top off this 30th anniversary year we decided to create the sloan cast 30 is what we're going to call it as a sort of super fan approved cross-section of the band's very prolific catalog And the idea is, what are 30 songs that embody what makes this band great? Um, If you had 30 songs to try to convince a non-Sloan fan to get on the bandwagon, which would they be? Uh, And would you choose to dig deeper into their catalog, considering the person might already know the radio singles? So this is basically like an ultimate playlist. Uh, And it's the result of a compromise between Rob and I. We both we both came at the topic, like did some research, dug deep, came at the topic with our own 30 song lists, and then befitting to Sloanocracy, we made the final list a 50-50 split between our lists. So these are like the 30 songs that Sloancast puts forward to tell the story of the band uh-huh. and what's and what makes Sloan so unique. Um so you know Feel free to use them to convince even the most discriminating of your music fan friends. Uh, and, and maybe one thing that's important to note before we dive in is that this is not a list of our favorite 30 songs per se. Um, you know, I, I for one can say that there are songs on here that probably aren't even in my top half of my own favorites, but we feel that these songs stand for a particular sound or a particular moment or a particular characteristic of the band uh and therefore belong on here yeah no well said i mean the way i kind of came at this was if i were to get somebody who's a casual fan or somebody who doesn't know the band into them uh which i've certainly done in the past i've certainly made sloan mixtapes and that kind of thing to kind of get people into them who are maybe not as familiar with their deeper catalog and for me too and i know you kind of would echo this sentiment ken that i really feel like they're you know if we split their career into two sections i mean the second half of their career starts in 2006 you know with, with never the end of it and gregory joining the band which is just insane like that that's the halfway point you know just mm-hmm. unreal feels like yesterday <clears throat> but um i feel i really feel as though they've had this sort of latter half of the career renaissance you know uh, and that some of their greatest work and you know t- completely dwarfs their 90s output in this post 2006 yeah. era um yeah. so that is sort of the where my 30 
sort of really lean in that post 2006 uh, period yeah. with a few yeah. exceptions. Um, and we kind of joked about, um, you know, I remember back in the day working music retail, it was very common for certain late for us, you know, certain label to put out a gold series. So if you would have ABBA mm. gold or, you know, Leonard Skinner gold, the gold collection, mm. uh, and generally it would be just essentially, essentially, you know, 12 or 13 singles or songs that are popular of the group, sometimes live cuts, that sort of thing. And then if it, if it sold well, I think, uh, ABBA is a good example of this. They had more ABBA gold. They would have a sequel to right. that. And so if you collect all of the Sloan singles, you know, similar to the A-Sides Win compilation from 2005, you know, what would be an addendum to that? What would be a Sloan gold part two? And for me, that's this list, you know, it's, hmm. or at least that was my contribution of my 30. And we can chat about right. sort of the places where we compromise and that kind of thing. I have my original list here too. For um, sure. We should, <clears throat> we should post those as well. Once we get both parts or all three or 10 parts of this online um then we can post our original lists just so you can kind of see where yeah. we met in the middle because i for one didn't categorically exclude like singles from my list but i i ended up not really including very many uh in the first place because i feel as though there are you know the singles are great we've heard we've heard the singles even casual listeners in canada will know the singles mm-hmm. um but they're not necessarily always the things that make this band stand out from the competition or from whoever you know so if you're trying to get somebody on board mm-hmm. what do you play them do you play them a sides win and i know we keep coming back to the beatles and stuff but obviously this podcast was inspired by the Beatles podcast, Fabcast, Howie mm. and Bard. Um, and actually, Please interestingly enough, I got into that podcast via Chris and Jay because they were posting about it all the time. But sure. <clears throat> um, and their show is amazing. Like everybody loves the Beatles. Who doesn't like the Beatles? And you know some of their songs, you know, you know, at least you know, like, you know, the singles and stuff. And and I'm pretty familiar with their catalog, but you listen to their show and it's hard not to want to dig on some of the stuff that they bring up. Like, Oh, you know, I hadn't mm. listened to that particular song from past masters in a while, or they'll tell the story mm. of a recording or something. And this is kind of, for me, what I really want to accomplish here is inspire people to go back and, and say, Oh, you know what? I haven't listened to action packed mm. in a while or Never sure. at the end of it or whatever. Yeah. And you know, that sure. song that's on, you know, that's on the B side of that album, eight songs in, man, I haven't listened all the way right. through to that. It, maybe it's worth a re-listen and it's a fun sort of collection. So like you said, we should post our full 30 together, like our combined yeah. 30, maybe the Sloan 60, the, the, the 60. <laughs> for anybody who 50, wants to kind of 55, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I can't drive 55. Sammy Hargar. Anyway. So for anybody who wants to listen and kind of follow along or create their own playlist, I mean, and you've created a Spotify list, right? We'll have that available as well. We'll have a Spotify list. Out. It doesn't encompass all of the tracks because we're, we've got some, deeper cuts in here um surprise surprise but um no we'll, we'll get that up online so you can listen through and you can let us know if this is something that indeed serves as a sufficient calling card for the band yeah so and yeah give us our feedback too like once you see this show posted you know if you disagree or if you think we've we missed something we definitely want to hear from you and talk about it um so shall we begin i think our plan in this episode be- is to go through one through 15 that's right we so we we looked at how we might go about uh, presenting this list and we thought, you know, do we do it alphabetically? Do we try to sequence the tracks as though we were creating a 30-song album? And at at the end, I think we agreed that it would be best to do this chronologically because I think it also makes the story of the band uh, stand out the most. And no story of the band isn't... Here's the thing. 
We're kicking this list off with a song whose presence will not surprise anybody, um, but without which the Sloan story really could not be told. to all the deep cuts only um people out there and to you it must seem pretty lame for us to kick off something as pretentious as this list with the like the most obvious selection but uh i feel as though underwhelmed cannot be denied it's a universe unto itself like it has most of the ingredients or a lot of the ingredients that you'll be hearing for the next 30 years of this band's career, right? You've got um, witty lyricism. uh, You have this sort of heaviness, but with still, like, it's still singable. You still have the singability and charm. Um, It's our introduction to the super voice. I mean, if if we're using the the smeared version, at least not the here and now version, and uh, you know that that comes with those clever intertwining vocal harmonies, yeah, and humor. I mean, there's there's a lot of the ingredients that I love in this band in this one song, which which just happens to be the band's first song. It's important to note too. This was the first song, as far as I know. I think it was in yeah. Andrew's episode, or I recall hearing some point about how you know when he went to go hang out with Chris originally, it was like that was the song. That was like the first one. Yeah. Uh, and it's in. It's obviously, I think, the first song they play at that yeah. show in the cafeteria that they posted from yeah. uh, <clears throat> early '91. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so a lot of significance. It's not just like the first so- single in the sort of shot heard around the world, you know, from their initial blast off. But yeah. it was for the band, sort of the first song as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, you you can't deny that voice, like Patrick and Chris vocally together. There is very little in the world as wonderful as that sound. Yeah. I don't think, and so, you know, we'll be looking at each song sort of from the perspective of let's, on the one hand, let's try to get somebody who's not really into the band into the band. And I don't think I've I've ever played this song for someone who doesn't like it. Like, I feel as though this is, you know, and you don't have to be, it's not my favorite song in the catalog. I think that, you know, there's a lot going on in the next 30 years that's at least equally as good. Um, But it's it's such an interesting like we've, we've said this is their first song <laughs> like this is what, go go and look at other bands and look at what their first songs are like i don't know the first songs of a lot of like the the bands that i'm casually fans of but you know the beatles in spite of all the dangers like crap <laughs> you know it's 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 a pile it's a pile of manure and like you can just see these are people you know they don't have 20 years of of you know, live music experience and they don't have 20 years of band experience at this point you know so the guys have at most seven years of musical experience at this point at at most you know uh and this is such a this is such a slick product it goes you know it's a testament not just to the fact that they were in the right place at the right time and they were discovered by the right people to make their career move it's a testament to them just being fucking great musicians and 
talents, really. And this song holds up. I mean, you the, the episode from a couple episodes of the hardcore one we talked about with uh, Greg, where he mentioned DGC Rarities 1. <clears throat> Not only are so many of the bands on that album like completely irrelevant now, um, like their peers, you could say, like from a DGC mm. perspective, but how timeless is Underwhelmed. And I know this song isn't on that that compilation, but I'm just using it as a template for other bands that were around at the time. This song is totally timeless, you know, and for, as a super mm. fan myself, like I'll go through periods where I listen to only post 2006, you know, for like a year. And if yeah. I see them live, you know, I'll, I'll enjoy, I love those earlier albums. They're all amazing. You know, like, yeah. one chord for me is still just like absolute perfection, <clears throat> but, and I'll enjoy those songs live, like I said, but I mean, I've listened to Smeared so many times. It just feels mm. like something that's almost too familiar, you know? But mm. if I put it on, like, for example, I'll be putting on, like, the uh, A-Sides Win DVD or something that's got all the music videos. And I'll, right. my son and I will just dance around to Underwhelm. And it's like, you can't put that song and on and not just be, like, impacted by it. It's not, yeah. there's never a time when I've been like, skip, like, you gotta yeah. love Underwhelm. You gotta, gotta give it up for that song. And yeah, I mean, if you look back where they were, just a year or two previous, you know, Chris and Jay are in Carney Lake Road, Andrew's in like, you know, Don't No Damn Fears, Patrick's in Convulsions and Happy Co. You know, and those bands are all wonderful. And the, the music that we've heard from those groups is great, you know, but it's such a giant leap forward mm. creatively, mm. Uh, sorry, from a creative standpoint to get from 89, 90, even the early versions of the song that we've seen in clips of them playing live prior sure, to the now. recording of it it's right. such a giant leap and, and and you can say that they rested on their influences you know like the british stuff and you know my bloody valentine that kind of thing jesus mary chain blah 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 but they're cr creating something that is wholly different from their influences even you know and something that i think that's stood the test of time even more so than those influences you know uh to me like uh, you know my bloody valentine sounds very early 90s and this song totally mm. doesn't like it's really no. it sounds as vital today as it did 30 years ago which is an insane thing to say 30 years ago is when that came out it's crazy yeah for sure almost we'll be we'll be covering the smeared 30th anniversary special i'm sure and here's a little uh suggestion to the band if they want to do this obviously through the 30th year they've you know, the world's had some crazy goings on. So people haven't really been exactly seeing a ton of shows. And so they didn't really get to set to celebrate their 30th year, you know, mm -hmm. and what are you going to do about that? I say we do a 33 and a third anniversary. Cause there's a song awesome. that I don't think is on this list, but Chris name checks. He says 33 and a third in one of the songs. It's a Japanese uh, 2005 exclusive. But anyway, tell me something I don't know is the song. But uh, it, when I was listening to that song this week, I was thinking like, wouldn't that be a fun little gimmick that they do like a 33 right. and a third anniversary? Anyway, whatever. Right. right. <laughs> so watch out 2004 and a third. 2024 and a third. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, th the half, the latter half of the year. That's right. Um, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, before we move on, um, I think, you know, you mentioned the leap between their previous bands and, and Sloan in terms of musicality, in terms of prescience, whatever. Look at the leap between, I, I, when I initially composed my list, I'm like, yeah, we got to use the here and now version because that's the first, that's the, re that's the very, very first. But then I listened to the here and now version again and I was like, meh. I was like, okay, this is, they're, okay, there are sleigh bells in the background. That's okay. But it's like the leap between the here and now version and the, oh. and the peppermint and smeared versions 
is huge. Like, yeah. I feel as though the here and now version is, and I want to say that we've heard some demos of like of earlier versions of this before. Maybe not. Maybe I'm hallucinating hallucinating this, and it's coming out in the box set in you know whatever. <laughs> but they had a better grasp of production within the course of a year between having recorded the here and now version and and the, or not even a year. You know, they had a much better grasp of of how to make it like of how to make it stick with listeners and that's to me is the stickiness of the music is just just as important as the content of the music too because you there there's shit out there that i can't stop thinking about like there are songs out there that i that like i said they're not necessarily my favorite songs and we'll get to some of these in the list and i think there's one track that you included on the second half of the list that i really had a long hard think about before i realized like I actually love this song and it's really sticky, but we'll get to there. You know, we'll get to that when we're, when we're out Suspense there. Suspense UTs. I know. Maybe we should move on to the next one though. <laughs> we'll get be sitting here for <laughs> 20 minutes. talking years. about Underwhelmed for an hour. That's I right. will say, I wanted to say one more thing about Underwhelmed really quick. Cause it's been said in the past. And I think by the guys that it's basically just sort of like a Minutemen, you know, protest mm. song for Michael Jackson to sing rip off or whatever. Um, <laughs> and it's crazy to me that, and they've said that, you know, like we heard aneurysm or whatever uh, in late 91 or early 92 or whatever. And that was sort of the thing that was like, oh, that drum fill, which was sort of used and slid into the new version of Underwhelmed, um, that that was sort of the impetus perhaps for the new upbeat version of the song. And, mm-hmm. you know, in anybody else's hands, that could have gone totally sideways and not worked. But these guys, I, I, I can't imagine that it was just the fact that they heard that song and that that was it. It's just mm. as if some magical fucking dust from above came down and just sprinkled over this song and made it perfect, you know, like, because this song doesn't sound like aneurysm and it doesn't yeah. sound like the Minutemen. It doesn't sound like any of their contemporaries or any of the stuff that they were being influenced at the time. It completely sounds like them. And like you said earlier, it set the template for so many, I mean, that song compared to the rest of their catalog is very different and maybe somewhat mm. polarizing in a way. But it set the template in terms, like you said, like of the lyrical content, the humor's there, the catchiness, the super voice. It's all there. And yeah. it's firing on all cylinders. And I think it's four minutes 40. feels like two minutes 40. Uh, <laughs> and it's a blast every time you hear it. So if you haven't heard it in a while, hey, underwhelmed. Okay, our next track is, in my number, mind... Number two. In, number two. Um, we've covered this extensively on the Smear 2 episode. So please, if you're listening to this, listen to that. Um, in my mind, this is a bridge between the band's peppermint and smeared era, sort of quote-unquote grungified sound, and the indescribable rock sound that would become their calling card for the rest of their career. Like, how do you describe... Yeah, but even just... you. What you mentioned just now is that you listen to a song, it sounds like Sloan. Mm. You can't put your finger on it. Maybe we'll try to do that with this list, but because there's so much going on, there are four dudes who are, in, you know making this sound um sorry Ringo but um you know it this particular sound I think is the sound that I'm more familiar with in the rest of the 30 years of the band's career so Mm. here it is number two
Right, so Pen Pals is the song that you get, I think, or the song that you use to get after sort of your, your you know, your Supergrass slash uh, Weezer Blue Album fans. <laughs> sure. Because uh, I think it combines the best of both worlds. Uh, and it even predates them, right? This is this is happening. This song was written before Blue Album came out. Um, yep. I'm not saying that it's exactly the same uh, template as that or as Supergrass. You know, Supergrass might be a little bit more rambunctious, um, but it's it's sort of that it's poppier than anything that they, they'd put out before. But at the same time, it it kind of still has its roots in the smeared era alt grunge yeah. uh, sound. Right, so I think that this is a great song to illustrate that bridge between both. But um, you know, apart from the more obvious thing happening here, which will titillate your Nirvana slash sub pop loving friends. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Supergrass. Like for me, I'm a casual fan of Supergrass. They're cool. I've been kind of trying to listen to them a little bit more while we're doing this podcast because I know that there was a certain, you know, uh, they they influence the band slightly in a transitional period uh especially between like 95 96 but this song destroys the entire supergrass catalog as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. like no disrespect to that band but i mean this is like amazing music like pen pals it's it's interestingly it's it's the first song on twice removed so it's the introduction to this new sound you know the band have kind of you know, I don't want to say reinvented themselves, but they're certainly in a different place than they were mm. just a year and a half earlier, or just half a year earlier. You know, like they're playing shows. Like, what is when is that Vermonstrous show compared to what TR recording? Like half a year. Vermonstrous was yeah, maybe like a half a year. Be- oh, it's yeah, a couple of months before they went down to Hoboken and started recording twice removed. It's crazy, and we've tried to analyze, and maybe we'll get into this, you know, deeper at some point with uh, a guest that was maybe, you know, there at the time we talked about it a little bit with Catherine Stockhausen, sort of like the person on the outside looking in, but that transition, I'm still so fascinated about how exactly that happened. Um, Cause they'd become a different band and they set the template for what they were going to become, you know, like we're the next, mm-hmm. you know, nearly almost 30 years now, you know, the template yeah. and that that is timeless music. They looked at, you know, the, fa- the bands that they were fans of the obvious you know, uh, references would be Beatles and the Stones. And especially if you watch the video that was put up online about 10 years ago uh, to coincide with, or not 10 years ago, just within the past decade, to coincide with the twice removed uh, reissue box set is the music video, quote unquote, of the guys, quote unquote, in the studio. And it's very mm-hmm. Stones looking. Like, you know, Chris is very like Mick Jagger with the, sh- the, the maracas. And I feel like that's maybe the predominant influence in terms of this sound. Um, right. you know, those those sixties stone records, like the you know, the percussion way up high in the mix and like the guitar lead. Um you might have a different opinion in that regard. But that's no, that's a really good point. It's the split and I think you're getting this right through maybe right through between the bridges. Um is you're getting this production style of like really separated channels. And uh, you know, this is most apparent in in, in Octa. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of that's that's a you know very taking it back to the roots and simplifying things production approach. Um and uh that's maybe the one thing to me that stands out in terms of this is a direct callback to our predecessors. But um you know you, you mentioned here as well this this sort of leap, not not just between what before the band had formed and underwhelmed, but also between smeared and twice removed. And uh, I wonder, 
what it was that you know this is a, a great topic for whenever we do talk about twice removed which we haven't technically talked about yet um such an intimidating topic but you know when they do make that leap from their alt grunge whatever uh shoegaze sort of brit uh sound to what they do end up doing for twice removed you know i wonder what it was that made them decide to change for example the way a song like pen pals sounds because we do have that audio clip from london uh the video clip from london in the summer of 93 when they do play this and it must have been in its infancy in terms of being an actual band number and not just something chris had had been working on but it it's very very much at the very beginning in the vein of almost like sleepover you know and i i don't want to chris chris's early songs he has sort of like a there's sort of like a droning nasal vocal quality happening happening on some of these songs where he's i'm not going to try to imitate it because it's too early in the morning but you know we can drop an audio clip in here maybe of that 93 version yeah and even just like take it in that sort of the way he's singing that and the way he sings sleepover is sort of the way he goes at pen pals in london in the summer of 93 you know where did chris decide that this is maybe not the style of singing that i should be the delivery that i should be using for a song like pen pals version you're you're kind of shocked that there was a previous version that was a lot slower and a lot more uh you know i guess you could say grungified but um that's the thing about grunge too is that it's kind of like it's very powerful but there's kind of like a whiny quality to it too isn't there yeah i mean for me watching some of the videos that came out over the past year talking about their anniversary and stuff um i'm trying to think what was the impetus for them to post the video of them at um, it's them. Oh, it was the, the, the B-Sides win compilation was coming out the mm. first one. And it's the video of them doing sleepover at the Phoenix. I want to say in Toronto and they're just, it's a super long song already. And the end is just like Andrew just playing that drum outro mm. over top of just like a drone sound. And the other guys are like walking off the stage, you know, Chris has got his two and He's just going, woo. There was a spirit in the band at the time. And this is totally my opinion of, I want to say a brattiness, you know, like they Mm. were this hot band on the scene. They were, you know, this massive group coming out of essentially coming out of nowhere in a way they're the, they're, you know, Canada's answer to Nirvana. They're the new Beatles, blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to say that they took that platform to be bratty, but they were young guys in their early twenties. You know what I mean? Trying Mm. to deal with the fact that they've got all this attention on them. And I think they maybe had a bit of fun with, I don't want to, I keep saying the word bratty, but just sort of being a little silly and allowing Mm. and like, and being difficult is what I want to say, being a little difficult Mm. and a little Mm. confrontational musically. Like you like underwhelmed. Well, guess what? We're going to play a song for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Mm. And almost Mm. using that as, I don't want to say as a crutch, but as sort of a way to, you know, let's see how much we can test people's sort of like, uh, attention or right. maybe we're yeah. going to use this sort of brattiness and we're going to be 
you know, a little oddball and kind of play something for 20 minutes long. And, mm-hmm. and it's, and, and you're going to enjoy it and it's arty, you know what I mean? Like the fact mm-hmm. that we're just taking our time and blah, blah, blah. And, um, anyway, so at some point, the, and I feel like his 93 pen pals is in that same vein. You know what I mean? Like That's he's, yeah. I, I don't know if he's, if he's, if the song was originally written at that tempo or he's just trying it at that tempo just to see what it sounds like. Um, but I think that in 93, they're very much still in that place of we're amazing and you're just going to listen to what we play. Mm. Uh, and we're going to purposely be a little difficult on the ears because we're already and we're awesome. And there you go. Mm. And in the transition mm. to the recording and of Choice Removed, there are some songs on there. Like, I mean, like Before I Do, for example, for me, especially when I first heard it, it was always a bit of a difficult one, you know, like sure. the key it's in and it's a little fuzzy and it's not just a traditional, like, you know, verse, chorus, verse and da, 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 da. Um, I mean, I guess it has those elements in the song, but it's, it's a difficult listen the first time you hear it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, f- for them to transition from 90, sorry, I'm going on from 93 to 94, from the drone pen pals into this perfect pop song, you know, mm-hmm. that, like I said earlier, dwarfs their influences is reminiscent of, you know, 60s sound. Um, mm-hmm. And while it's originally inspired by something from the sub pop office, which is that fan letter to Kurt Cobain that Chris is mm-hmm. almost reading verbatim. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that is the guts and the skeleton of the song when the song eventually becomes you know, not even a part of that time period. You know what I mean? Like it, right. it shoots off in a completely different direction. And with all of those influences and all of that, you know, infrastructure becomes the sound of the future. You mm-hmm. know, it's such an interesting sort of dichotomy of the ingredients are there, but the ultimate product is this thing that is going to be this musical template that sort of stands the test of time for the next, you know, however many decades. For sure. And as, a, a testament to its flexibility and to its um, timelessness as a, as a song. Uh, you might have seen the clip, or you might have seen it live uh, on on YouTube, of the band playing it. Uh, it might have been around 2010 uh, on a CBC Kids show, the Sesame Street like kids show. Um, and uh, you know, it it it's a song for all ages and stages, I guess. Yeah. But. It's 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 a sleeper hit. It was never really officially a single, but they did play it on TV a couple times, mm. and it's been a staple of the set even to this day, twenty twenty one. You're gonna hear pen That's pals, right. you know. Like That's I think right. it started their set for a number of years. It's always I think relatively close to the beginning of the set. Mm. Um, it's such an exciting song every time you hear it. It's just timeless. It's it's fantastic. Okay, so I guess moving on to track three, and this is a the first track that you proposed for the list, um, mm. Rob. Um, Chris has said before that he likes it when both uh, Jay dials it up a notch and when Patrick slows it down. And this next track is, uh, which is our other choice off of Twice Removed, is a classic example of the latter. Three, three's nothing out of ten. But you got a thing for me. I can feel it. And I've got a thing for you too You can have it, you can have it Yeah, there it is. It's interesting. The last track was the first song on the album, and the next track, number three, is I Can Feel It, the last song on Twice Removed. And the the example of Jay dialing it up, we're going to get to, I think, Mm. in the... uh, 
are we going to get to it in this episode? No, it'll yeah, probably be. Oh, no, it'll be the end, the end, of, the end of this episode. Keller. Yeah. So you're going to get both examples here, bet everybody. That's right. But uh, yeah, Patrick dialing it back. I mean, long time coming, you know, like there are so many great, I mean, that's probably for me, like the number one example, long time coming, you know, the Andrew. Oh, and Patrick even, doing, even though, hello, I'm an even, even though, though it's here. You know, so many great examples with Patrick kind of dialing it back a bit. But I mean, this one, hard to deny, hard to keep this one off the list. I mean, for me, this was the number one song. Um, I kind of skipped over Smeared and went right to this one. But um, it ends twice removed. It begins the party album. (laughs) And for me, it sort of encapsulates the first couple years of the band in a way that if I were to share those first couple years with somebody, I'd say, listen to this. And if you can't get into I Can Feel It, if you can't feel that song, you're a corpse. There's something wrong with you, okay? <laughs> Musically, it's beautiful, okay? Patrick Pentland, Patrick Pentland coming in with one of the most beautiful vocal deliveries on earth. We've already talked mm. endlessly on this show about he has got like the buttery, sugary, perfect you know, voice. Sure. Um, for rock music and contemporary music, this would be an example of that. Uh, and this song, from a lyrical standpoint, if it doesn't get you by the heartstrings, like it's just such a beautiful, perfect song. Jenny Pierce is on there with an incredible vocal mm-hmm. delivery and the uh, counter, the, the harmony. Um, what else can I say about this song? It's just fantastic. It's, it's kind of bonkers to think that this is about a breakup. Yeah. Right. Which is, yeah. I mean, Patrick is singing the song with the person that he broke up with. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of weird to think because it's such a, you know, there it's it's not necessarily a super optimistic uh, chord progression or anything. It's kind of melancholic, but the lyrical content is really optimistic, and it's it's uh, it's interesting. You know, he he's noted that recently is that oh yeah, I can feel it. That's about you know moving on and about breaking up, and it's a sad song. And I'm like, well, it kind of it's tragic comic in a way. Um, but uh, what you said, I mean, this is the introdu- introduction to Patrick's voice. From my perspective, mm. I think there are yeah. other tracks on Twice Removed that are great, and I know that Patrick isn't entirely fond of his Twice Removed material. But um, I think about like Worried Now, which is for me, a, you know, I might have al- almost included it on here. Um, but uh, this is a great example of his range as a songwriter. Um, yeah. It's something that you don't hear a lot of over the course of and I think other slow jams from his pen later on in, in his career aren't of the same of the same they're not using the same sort of background thought process you know if you listen to it is never or uh even though or your dreams have come true those are all slow tempo songs um that are coming from a completely different spot like this is a very very earnest sort of genuine Patrick Pentland that we're hearing here and his vocal delivery, as you mentioned, uh, mirrors that perfectly. He's really, I mean, we've, we've talked on the show about him really carving out his place in the band a, a couple years later with good and everyone in the one chord songs. But, you know, by this point in the group, I mean, I've got to think you're Chris, you're Jay, you're Andrew, regardless of whatever the inner band politics are, or the relationships, you hear these mm-hmm. songs and you got to be like, 
God, thank God this guy's in our band. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not sure. only is he one of the greatest vocalists of all time, he's putting out songs like this, you know, which are just a complete, wonderful counterpoint to some of the songs on the rest of the album. And I would suggest that Patrick's probably got the widest breadth of tones on this one. You know what I mean? Like, Chris has got bells on. That song kind of rocks at the end and stuff. This one is just pure, gentle sincerity. And... Mm. um I almost, I always hear the version from the party album in my head because you hear party album and there are a lot of fun tracks on there and it's upbeat and, you know, the crowd is raucous and everybody's clapping and sing, singing along. Um, but that, I love this song as an intro, you know what I mean? And if I were to, if there was to be a Sloan show that was like their, you know, hall of fame induction show or something like, you know, a show where they, where I could like be the master of ceremonies and come up with a set list for them. This would be the, this would be the first song. Um, cause it's just so disarming. If they'd followed up smeared, uh, on Geffen with, I can feel it as the lead off track to the next album that would have been, they would have been kicked off right away. Uh, well you know who's to say but i always hear this song in my head when i think of this song if i'm singing it to myself i always think of the drum intro from the party album which is and that that lick at the beginning oh it's just beautiful right so i'm sure all of you out there are very familiar with the song but if you have the party album fucking stick it on now we're averaging about three songs a half an hour here so we're gonna kick up the pace yeah i was just gonna say for our next lick um (laughs) we're uh we're looking at it's another it's another patrick take here Mm. and we are looking at what could very well have chronologically been the final song for the band uh had they broken up in 7-inch version of Same Old Flame, which, mm. to be completely frank, doesn't really differ that much from the later um, one chord to another uh, alternate version. But this might be the Sloan song, from my perspective, that best fits into the sort of mid-90s alt-rock category, if that makes sense. Sure. And I know that yeah. that's a very broad, that's a very, very, and I'm talking about maybe like 94 to 98 or 97. Um, that's a very broad genre. But if I were to describe the sonic qualities that make it up, it's, on the one hand, cleaner guitars, uh, at least in comparison to the grunge era. Uh, As I said before, more channel separation. Uh, It's a lot more riff-driven, I guess, than sort of 80s alt-rock, which is more about the whole whole sound, I guess. But, and at the same time, it's this, like, poppy naivety um, in the lyrical content. So, you know he's just talking about at the beginning of the song about being on tour and how this is great and whatever it's kind of you know it's it a kid could have written this it's deep uh i mean patrick was super young when he did write it right he's talking maybe about the european tour in 93 and he was maybe 23 24 years old but um you know i think this is an artistic decision in many ways it's it might be the most sort of counting 
Crows or Delamitri-esque song in the catalog. Um, not that I'm in, in any way trying to degrade it, and I actually do like both of those bands, but um, if there's one Sloan track that would be playing in the background at uh, a party at Monica's apartment and Friends, this might be it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, you got to give it up too for the A-side stood up. I mean, that was a in my running for my top 30 like it's right. hard to fuck with this seven inch from 95 like it's such so a perfect good. double a side i mean it would have been an incredible swan song had the band ended thank god they didn't blah 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 but um yeah i mean again we've heard the sort of earlier versions of it and i think had patrick maybe had his way artistically it would have sounded like that sort of is it the tr box set that he that they threw that one in there or is it the octa mm-hmm. box set or you have that sort of sludgy, gun more like similar to the Pen Pals '93. It's just this right. slower, the, drawn that's out, the twice removed boss set. Yeah, yeah, it's a slower, drawn out version. Um, and Patrick even said, I think on his episode with us or at some point, um, that he was really do, doing his best to fall into the sort of Chris and Jay '95 '96 framework of, you know, mm-hmm. the sound that they'd established on Twice Removed and the song in its iteration on the seven inch really you know feels like a a, a brother or like a like a, a twin brother two stood up they really feel like mm. they go together um and yeah just what an amazing song i love it i you know it for me encapsulates like you just said that midpoint between the twice removed one chord era and um it's without a doubt a song that i would put on a compilation for somebody who's unfamiliar with the band to kind of introduce them to that you know just familiarize them with that 90s sound okay well let's skip ahead to the next one mm-hmm. and apologies in advance to uh jay and andrew we've only got chris and patrick songs on here so far <laughs> and the next one will continue in this vein um it's for me the most indicative of that one chord to another sound i guess it's it's the song on the album that to me stands out as being the song that could only be on that album. Um, and it's also one of the few tracks in the catalog that fades in. So here we go. about including the four nights uh, version of this because one of the like super novel things to me about this song is hearing chris take the high vocals live uh while churning through that bass line it's just such such a treat but um i finally decided to maybe if we're making a playlist to try to get people into the band <laughs> that we could maybe leave the live cuts off and leave that for the next the next version i guess but um as I said, I think you know anyone who's anyone uh, embodies a lot of what makes Octa so so special within just a couple of minutes, right? I mean, you have that four track sound, um, you have the huge high vocals, the backing vocals. You have uh, it's I forget. Did we mention this? Is this something that Pinto said in our Octa episode? It's sort of that midpoint between like late seventies London punk and 
I guess, mid-60s London boho psychedelia um, without, you know, sounding... It doesn't risk sounding baroque or, you know, whatever shit those, you know, puffy shirt wearers <laughs> use to describe themselves <laughs> these days. But uh, it doesn't sound like what I'm saying is it doesn't sound like a period piece. No. You know, it's just you've got this minimalistic approach to recording and production, uh, which is timeless. And it could have been written and recorded at any point over the last 50 years. But at the same time, it fits the mold of octa perfectly so if i were to choose one song to say like this is one chord to another dear friend uh it's going to be anyone who's anyone and pinto nailed it when he mentioned that you know chris was listening to the who sell out or something you know that that was in the back of his mind when he wrote this um but it again it takes on a life of its own you know, I would love oh, to hear Armenia, a version. Oh, City in the Sky, I think that was the one. Yeah, his, like the, it's, it's, point, right. it's got a lot in common with that song from like a vibe standpoint. Um, but, uh, and you can hear a lot of the sort of like the influence there. But again, they take that influence and just create a completely different thing. Um, I would love at some point to hear what's happening before that fade in. Like I assume it's them just building gang, 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 you know, or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my dreams, that's what it sounds like. But um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was a period there in the mid nineties when this was an opener. Like I recall this was at the varsity show in 97, that huge show that they did in right. Toronto. This was the opening song. Um, an awesome introduction to them. And we talked about this previously on the one chord episode that it's not only an amazing song and the vocals awesome, but the vocal is like a circus act, you know, it's like a sword swallower or somebody who's like nailing something through their head, like listening to this dude hit that note and hold it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's a physical feat. And, um, yeah, I think it's casual, a bit... yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say casual listeners and people who are maybe not so familiar with a band, it's hard to not blow them away with a musical moment, you know, with uh, yeah. musical dynamism. And on this track, Chris is full of that. It's it's also just a little bit weird. Like there's at very maybe less so in the last, you know, 10 years or so, but there's always been like that one weird track on a Sloan album. And this is, I think for me that like, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, it's just like, where is he getting his influence to write this song from? You know, like how do you get your influence to take your three part harmonies and turn up the gain on the, on the, uh, on the preamp so that you can't discern the harmonies from, from, from each other. It sounds like when he's going up to, you know, we're all together now. It just sounds like a chord that's being played on a synthesizer or something. It's really weird. Like there's elements of that in there where you just kind of think this is super unique. You know, this is not happening anywhere else. And Chris has um, Chris has always had a thematic edge where even back to painting a room from Carney Lake Road days, where he's got this idea of like, hey everybody, we're gonna all do this together. He's like the ring, like the ringleader, like the cheerleader. Yeah. The person yeah. who's saying, like, hey everybody, follow me. You know, like he picks up his sword and he charges into battle and everybody's with him. And this song's got that spirit in it. We're all like, together call to now. Battle. Let's go. We totally call to arms. Yeah, absolutely. And so on an album filled with amazing singles, like Octa's got just incredible mm. singles. Mm. The whole album is perfect. Um, this is sort of a neat little left turn, a little different. And I think something that I would certainly include on a mix or something to kind of get somebody who's not as familiar with them into them. Yeah. So the next song is actually kind of similar, I think in the sense that it, well, it's the next song from Okta or our our other song from Okta on this list. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I mentioned before that it's one of the few songs that 
Anyone Who's Anyone, it's one of the few songs in the catalog that fades in. Well, here's a song that doesn't just fade in, but it also fades out. So I know that we've already made a big deal um, on this podcast about sinking ships being Andrew's crashing onto the scene song, but I think a lot of what makes that song so unique and great is also taking place here. Um, You know, there's weird chord voicings, uh, stacked background vocals, crazy drum fills, uh, piano, there's piano on both tracks. Um, For me really important those backwards guitar solos right (laughs) so Um, it's 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 another weird song it's a song that sounds homemade right but it's done in a professional way um and i think that there's a certain niche genre out there a niche group of people who like that you know and you can count me on that list um this is for your velvet underground and pretty things listening friends right like velvet underground and pretty things were great bands and they had a lot of money and resources behind them at some point in their career but they're putting out songs that sound like you know in many ways like garage band type stuff and this is a garage band track and this is something that andrew came up with on his own in toronto while the rest of the band was still in alvax right this is the thing that blows my mind i mean we talked a second ago about patrick kind of shoehorning and sort of allowing himself to be folded into the sound of the band Andrew did that in a way too. I mean, with one chord, especially like he's a, he's separate from the other guys. He's in Toronto. He's on his own. He's recording everything by himself. I think it's been said that a side wins and 400 meters are entirely Andrew as in terms of performance. It's all him, Mm. um, which is insane. Uh, And that he had kind of heard what they were doing in terms of demos. I think, I don't know if he'd already played the drums on the other songs yet when he delivered these, but I think he knew where they were going in terms of influences and stuff. And he delivers these songs that sound completely at home with the rest of the album. Mm. Like I can't, to me, they don't sound apart at all. Like A Side yeah. Winds and 400 Meters especially fit perfectly with everything else on one chord. And yeah. um, it's, it's, it's unconscionable to me. It's, it's insane to me to imagine being somebody who's a casual listener or who's kind of gone along for the ride Um seeing them for the first time in 96 or 97 supporting the album and okay there are a couple songs into the show and wait a second they're getting up and they're moving around and the bass player is going to the drums and the drummer's coming up to the front what the fuck is this going to be and they kind of build and they start playing the beat and then i don't know where you know like i would love to just be in that person's shoes for a second or just see their reaction What's this going to be? And then it's 400 meters and it fucking delivers. It's weird and it's fucking catchy and it's awesome. And the guitar is amazing. Uh, you know, all of that. And, and the fact that it's this perfect song that ends the, the fucking album, you know, it caps off this perfect album so well. And I want to put this out there and, you know, seasoned listeners of Sloancast will know that I'm an, an, an admitted southern rock fan um at least i was in my youth but um 
it kind of has a bit of like a almond brothers band slash flying burrito brothers vibe going on here like there's an instrumental quality to it where like you said it sounds like a jam song that you know fucking almond brothers could be playing on stage and this is at the point in time when i guess andrew and andrew's always gone in this direction a little bit but this is at the point in time where he was doing shit with the sadies and with maker's mark which are two kind of alt country bands right so there's kind of that twangy vibe to it there's um you know guitar driven uh songwriting um which is really cool um and it's a it's interesting that the list ended up this way it actually is the little brother to the song that we'll be talking about next. And I will say, I mean, there Sloan oftentimes, and I think Chris is the culprit a lot of the times when he'll have sort of meta lyrical moments happening. Like, you know, like he's talking about something rising or falling as the bass line rate rises or falls or something like that. And, and I don't know if the plan ahead of the recording of this song was for Andrew to be have the last song, but lyrically, he says, this record's disappearing and my system's on the men. I'll never know right. who wins until I make it to the end. And here we are at the end of the album. The record is, in fact, disappearing. It's about to fade out. Um, you know, just cool little shit like that. You don't get that well, with other bands. <laughs> and it's also interesting because he's making a biographical reference there to like his holding Nova Scotia provincial track records. And he's mm. talking about losing in a track meet, I guess. That's my interpretation. But um yeah it's uh for me just a testament to this man's um style really and it's the first maybe the first track for me listening to the catalog chronologically where i'm like okay this this guy needs to be taken seriously as a songwriter right mm-hmm. yeah so, without, without a yeah. doubt yeah i mean it, i mean there would have been i assume obviously on the twice removed tour we've seen footage of them playing people of the sky you know i, I imagine they would have been doing before i do but prior to that, I don't, I, that's another question that I have. Like, at what point did Andrew start playing guitar out front? Was it exclusively after Twice Removed came out? Because that previous mm-hmm. to that, what did he have to play? You know, other than mm-hmm. potentially covers or something. Um, but, you know, that's another big sea change in the band, you know, doing yeah. the thing where they switch. Um, and the switch being something that is not only competently performed but totally delivers you know like i was saying earlier like you got to put yourself in the mindset of somebody who's not expecting that you know there's this perfect band playing these perfect pop songs and they're awesome and they're hilarious and everybody can sing and now they're switching members on stage and fuck the guy who was playing drums is coming up and completely fucking killing it and delivering totally at the front of the stage vocally totally. from a guitar standpoint totally. his songs are amazing they're a different tone and flavor from everything else it's just like god you know what can these guys not fucking do holy shit yeah yeah i guess the next track is an extension of the same thought um so we just finished talking about the little brother let's move on to the big brother you take control of having what you want around you in every blink of your eye can make an old man seem younger than every single day in his life before you carried round his weight like it was yours to show the world I'm kinda level headed too but this loose lip of yours could sink Fifth Avenue 
we've talked about sinking ships um, in depth on our uh, Navy Blues. It might have been our first episode. Those were our first episodes, man. Yeah, <laughs> a long time ago. In a gal- anyways, um, <laughs> it's it's so difficult to pull off stitched together multi-part songs and not make it sound like either completely confusing or utterly conceited um but i think andrew manages this by making like these introduction lyrics to singing ships really simple and accessible and understandable and even like a little bit humorous so he reels you in with this sort of cool introduction um and then the song just becomes progressively more ghoulish and like convoluted as you move on if this if if 400 meters was the song where you can claim that andrew's songwriting capabilities are at the level of the band like it, it's he's he's not just playing catch up anymore and he's not just getting the scraps and whatever but sinking ships is the song where you're sure that he's giving chris and patrick and jay a fucking run for their money you know like he's yes. he's out there you know which drummers do you know in a you know in a rock band that isn't centered in like not the dave clark five or whatever but like in a rock band that isn't centered, centered around the drummer who can do that you know i was gonna just say how many bands have album track you know uh intensity like this like everybody is familiar with most bands you know singles and they'll usually start off the album with a single and then when you get into the body of the album or towards the end it's sort of like yeah we'll just kind of stick whatever in there mm-hmm. now andrew's obviously by this point he's had a single he's had people of this guy and he'll have another single coming up um and he's mentioned in interviews like the singles on the record he feels like you know you could take your finger and close your eyes and just point and any one of them could be a single ostensibly mm-hmm. but um He's he, songs of this quality. Sinking ships is a good example. It's it's just like, you know, we talked about this in those first couple episodes. But you're Chris, Patrick, and Andrew, and here comes Andrew with sinking ships. Like, what are you thinking? What are you gonna do? This guy's not only a contender, but he's just writing these immaculate songs that are like that make up the sort of body of an album. You know what I mean? Like there, there's not just you know skeletal remains there. He's he's bringing the meat, and um these fully fleshed out incredible ideas, the the harmonies alone, you know, like there's a great episode of the new music um, that I tried to copy to to YouTube and put it up, but the audio was all fucked up. The tape's so old and the audio's fucked up. And I know it's floating around there somewhere. I got to get this digitally, but it's an episode of the new music where the guys are in the studio. uh, I think it's chemical sound. And they're sort of doing that thing where they're pretending that they're recording. Like, you know, they got their Mm -hmm. ears up, their hands up to their ear. Right. And it's uh, Patrick and Chris and Andrew running through the, we got along that little part. And it's just them kind of doing it with, I think an acoustic, maybe Jay's playing a guitar or something. And it sounds so fucking great. Mm. You know, and even like I, I've mentioned this on the show before, uh, the Golden Dogs and, uh, you know, the Zeus guys did a little tribute show in late, late 2009 that I was kind of there for, played drums on a few songs. This is another one that they tried to do, Sinking Ships. I think I played on it. Mm. And seeing other kind of seasoned musicians try to pull off that vocal mm. stack. Right you immediately are confronted with, wow, that's fucking difficult. You know, people who've been Mm. singing professionally for years are going like, how did they do that? You know, Mm. and this is Sloan, you know, just, they are, you know, just endlessly giving. They're so layered 
there's so much going on and they make it yeah, sound for sure. effortless. And even, you know, that middle eight section, I'm not sure if it's really a middle eight, but that, you know, we got a long way to go mm. um, part. Uh, it, it becomes apparent, like those are three different song pieces that are being stitched together to make this song. Um, but the way that he uses that fill to get from the middle eight part back to the I'm kind of level-headed two part for the outro. Um, you know that big, big fill that he, the Tom fill that he's using to do that. Um, it's just such a great example of how he can build the song around his kit. Like he can build a a track. Uh, people mostly, you know, compose on a guitar, or piano, or something. He's building this. He's building this medley, I guess, uh, around around his kit, which is I don't think that it's a it's something that a lot of people can do is like think about their drums their percussion as an actual musical instrument like you know what i mean it's actually taking it's actually you know creating musical cues for for the song so that's really interesting for me on, on this one the fill that you're referring to for me really feels like a crest fill just like a you know like um so i'd be interested to know who's playing that you know i mean it's an andrew song so we're we're safe to assume it's him but because i've seen chris perform it so many times live i'm just used to seeing that and in my mind that's who's playing it but uh, who knows anyway sinking ships like again i'm sure you've all you all know this song if you haven't heard it in a while go back and check it out man like a masterpiece on an album of masterpieces seriously and we only have one track from navy blues on this list and you yeah know, we're already we're Crazy. already moving forward yeah well it, it, it's a testament to the depth of their catalog we're already moving yep. forward to uh between the bridges we're already in 1999 and uh track eight on the Sloancast 30 is you know I, I know it's possible to use the moniker fan favorite on any of these tracks um but for me this next song is the one that truly lives up to that title I'll say this about Marquee in the Moon from 1999's Between the Bridges. You know, in, here we are in 2021. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, a couple of weeks ago, the guys played three shows at the Phoenix. Uh, and there were two songs in the set where somebody came up to me at the merch table and said, what album is that song on? Like, holy hmm. shit. This is one of them. Uh, right. They played it. I can't remember if it was played on all the shows or if it was played on a couple, but they definitely did it. And it sounds as amazing today as it did, you know, 20 plus years ago. And uh, yeah, what can you say about Marky and the Moon? I mean, for me at the time, it really is set apart on that record in terms of the mm. way that it sounds. I love that it's this like slow kind of confident stomp. You know, mm. for me, like when I hear the song, it's it's hard to tell really what you're listening to because it's obviously the drums. It's, it's sort of the toms kind of building. It sounds like you're hearing a crowd. Um, this album and the next album, the guys are really utilizing. I mean, they've done it. I guess you got to say they did it on one chord too. They like the album begins with an audience, you know, it's that edge fest 95 audience screaming 
Um, but here again, you know, who knows where this was recorded, but it's clearly, you know, an auditorium of fans all clapping yeah. in time, you know, Chris or somebody got this recorded or something. Uh, perhaps it, it was to do with the, it was recorded during the, uh, four nights recordings. That's a possibility. Um, I can assume that that, that much cause they were already recording anyway for the record, but, um, you know, it's, it's fans kind of clapping in time and, uh, I love just like the lead guitar, just the, the tone of it. It's just such an unusual sounding song, but it's so pleasing to listen to. It's like audio candy. Uh, and Chris's yeah. delivery is so great. Love the lyrics. Um, and yeah, again, here we are in 2021 and this song is still in the set. The The composition of this song is just a total, it's, it's a dream, right? It's mm. you're, you're in, you're in the dream with Chris floating above peninsular halifax and and seeing all these clubs right and giving them a little nod uh and it's for me like the most nostalgic of all of their songs possibly you know it's the one where you can really like you don't have to have been in the halifax club scene in the 80s and 90s early 90s to know what he's singing about and you can feel as though you're right there with him um it's uh it's so interesting how he builds that up but it's it's a lot of what I'm going to get at in the Sloancast 30 when talking about Chris's songs is the lyrical side. Um, and it's just, it's such a pleasure to listen to. It's such a story, right? You're, he's taking you through, a, you know, a music scene. Um, and there's so much, uh, you know, there's, there, there's so much wordsmanship going on. Um, uh, so it's for me, uh, much in the same vein as Underwhelmed was, and in the same vein as some of the songs that we'll be talking about later on this list will be, just a, a real great calling card for Chris Murphy as a lyrics writer. Totally. And he's, he'll be the first to kind of like degrade his own lyrics and stuff or say that it's the part he, you know, enjoys the least or whatever. But, you know, to have a guy who's dropping lines like, to me, buzz is onomatopoeia. Like, who else mm. is shoehorning that into their lyrics you know and and for it to also be sort of like a subtle joke about you know drinking and club life and being somebody who's sort of not necessarily outwardly straight edge but kind of lives that lifestyle a little bit more so um and subtly putting little wordsmith action into the song like that you know like and then like you were Mm -hmm. saying earlier like this this song does have a very dreamy sort of feel to it and um is really kind of set apart on the album i think for me when between the bridges came out this was like the song for me like yeah. i love the whole album but this was the one that i really hung my hat on all right so moving ahead i guess to our next track and you know what let's get jay ferguson onto the list for the very first time to make the list the this playlist uh, sort of about the band and about mm-hmm. its story and uh yeah at the edge of the scene is literally about the band <laughs> yeah now have we sorted out yet we should maybe pull up the lyric sheet this might be kind of fun have we sorted which verses about who let's have a look this is your this is your chance all right let's play along at home and see if we can figure it all out everybody so we're talking now about the uh j part of the song not the chris intro right. or outro 
but the actual uh, J part of the song. Do you have the the lyrics up there? Yeah. So when he's talking about black upon black, uh, he's still cutting the track. Now he says old Ireland's heart may still call him back. So we're obviously talking about Patrick. Um, He says the old glasses were round. The siren is heard. It's the cue for his sound. So we're talking about Money City Maniac. So obviously Jay's first versus Patrick. Um, I love how he just says the old glasses were like he's referring to his uh, smeared in Okta era uh, glasses versus his uh, between the bridges era square glasses. Yeah. And Jay's second verse, as I'm reading through these, I'm recognizing exactly who they're about. But as, so- a sov- as sovereign of all, he's like he's like the second to none. Well, the change is complex and it's only take one. This is Andrew. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at the edge of the scene, he's revered by the most, not just under our feet, but from here to the coast. Uh, so that's Andrew Scott. Uh, ties, now this one, let's see if you can guess who this one's about. The ties that are loose are the ones that he binds. If we wander off track, well, he'll keep us aligned. At the edge of the scene, not unlike in DC, hello, it's the sound from down there years ago set him free. So we're talking about Chris Murphy. That's uh, right. Not <laughs> being influenced by the sounds from DC. Uh, and him being, I love that he's the one who kind of keeps them together. And I think anybody mm-hmm. who's a fan of the band and kind of sees the inner dynamic is that Chris is sort of like the glue. He's the midpoint. He's the guy who's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, um, not only super driven and the guys are all driven, but I mean, like he's the one who's really kind of the motor, I want to say, like in terms of, you know, at the ground level. And I mean, they're, they're the guys each have their own sort of things that they do. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like that's very true about Chris. And so then obviously the last verse uh, is, is, is Jay talking about himself and he actually says my story. So there we go. My mm-hmm. story is tamed. It's not very wild. Expectations were debated for this only child. Jay is an only child at the edge of the scene. When our secrets revealed, you know, it's my life and it's the way that I feel. And I love the, the reference here to the secret which was first mentioned, I want to say on one chord in the liner is the Sloan secret. Um, uh, you know, I would love to know if there's something a little deeper going on there or if they're just having a bit of fun with mm-hmm. the idea. But uh, yeah, so lyrically, I, I love that you, like you said, that the song is actually about each guy. Mm-hmm. Um, super cool. And this song, I think thematically and musically rather, is the first song on the actual original version of the album. Because obviously, as we know, Between the Bridges was kind of recorded and they sort of moved the songs uh, afterward to sort of make it more sense in terms of, you know, something that was going to be put out. Um, Because the NS, I think, was originally the seventh or eighth song. Mm -hmm. At the edge of the scene would have been the opener and musically goes right into So Beyond Me. Okay. I'd always been under the impression that they came up with sort of their their Japanese B-sides. Japanese bonus tracks after the fact but this uh, from a pure sequencing standpoint makes total sense yeah I don't know I mean I've been under the impression for a while that this was the original opener Um, and for whatever reason maybe because they wanted to kind of like and I remember interviews at the time I think they wanted to start the album on a different tone like they hadn't tonally sort of started off with something that's a little more withdrawn and the ns i mean Mm -hmm. at the end of the day when you you know history looks back on it is such an incredible opener and sets an such an incredible tone for that record that's just like perfect Mm -hmm. um and at the edge of the scene is awesome too but maybe a little too similar-ish in tone or whatever to previous albums you know kind of starting off with like a banger but um yeah and cool and starting off with a j song too yeah, kind of it's, cool. apart from the fact that this is the band in a nutshell, I th- I like this on this list because it's a great 
example of Chris and Jay sharing duties on a song, which happens a, a number of times throughout the catalog. And and I remember getting the um, "Don't You Believe a Word" single, as I believe mm. it's on, that was originally on, and it's now available on their B sides collection. I think Volume Two. Um, which I believe are all on Bandcamp for streaming. So if you haven't heard them, go check them out. But anyway, um, and if you don't have a copy of that, by God, go pick one up. But um, I remember getting that single and hearing this song and Summer's My Season, which was also on my list. Like, I don't know if it made the cut, but Summer's My Season for me and this one are just like, you're checking these guys out and you're like, God, these fucking B-sides are just like as good or better than the tracks on the record. Like, you know, at the time, especially Summer's My Season was like an encore staple, you know, Chris coming out and just doing it by himself. But uh, and and uh, Edge of the Scene was in the set a lot of the time, too, in this period. It's what you get when you get four guys who are contributing uh, creatively at all times, and there's only so much real estate you can put on the studio LP. So, you know, you get good tracks that are, that are B-sides or whatever. Yeah. It's, Uh, it's in, it's amazing. And yeah, love edge of the scene. Such a great song. All right. So moving on to our next selection, um, it wasn't (laughs) our goal. (laughs) It wasn't my goal to make this a list of my 30 favorite Sloan songs. Um, but, you know, no no list of mine would be complete without including uh, this gem. And I don't know where I'm going or where I'm coming from. Feels like somebody else's last game. convince someone of why andrew scott is the best drummer in the world like make them listen to this song it's we've talked about this in the in the pretty together um episode with uh, travis stokel but it's keith moon with timing it's mm. you know that intro fill even just like the first thing you hear on this song alone or that the outro fears where the drums kind of fade in um into the last resounding chorus um you know, you want to convince someone of how incredible an all-round musician Sloan's drummer is, like, have them fucking listen to this song, listen to the bass line, listen to the guitar licks, you know, they'll, they'll never look at, you know, fucking Levon Helm or Don Henley the same again, like, Andrew Scott is the drummer, singer, songwriter, period, you know, this oh, song is just a, a, a great, yeah. And the cool thing I remember about hearing this song for the first time is, again, what I was talking about earlier about these sort of songs that sort of fill out the rest of the album. You know, I think like your average band would kind of just throw whatever in there. But because you have this creative abundance issue with these guys, you know, the songs that kind of fill out in between the singles are these just instant classics. And this is a great example of Andrew, because obviously People of the Sky is an incredibly catchy song. Mm -hmm. It was a single. Between then and now, his songs have been sort of not not maybe the more difficult songs, but just the songs that kind of fleshed out an album bit, a bit more or were maybe a little bit more of a special moment live, like Sinking Ships and that kind of thing. Uh, 400 Meters, which was mentioned earlier. 
here we go with him writing again another song that in the movies for me could have been a big single you know what i mean like super catchy super upbeat mm-hmm. um awesome everything in terms of instrumentation and stuff just such a fun song um and it's great it's it's awesome to hear andrew having so much fun too you imagine him recording it i, I mentioned keith moon and i i don't think it's a real like maybe he might have had that um that style in his mind when he was recording this but you know this is the song that i get uh that i use to convince my who fan friends to get into sloan like this is the this is like the the who taken into the 21st century kind of it's uh you know there's that kind of dynamism happening and there's that kind of like swagger and i we i talked about that in the never hear the end of it episode is that you have that like super macho kind of andrew happening in some of the in some of the uh never hear the end of it tracks for me this is kind of that right it's kind of that roger daltrey-esque uh going at it and of course that's all pete townsend's doing but like the way that he approaches the the vocal parts and the way that he approaches the lyrics um is very who-esque but it's not you know like I said, they're not doing a caricature of the who or something. And and you mentioned Keith Moon earlier. I mean, for me as a drummer, like Keith was never about power. He was about yeah. spontaneity and kind of just like, like his drumming is almost like a joke the whole time. It's just funny. Right. It's, it's so, it's so silly. And, you know, people have talked about how he was really just playing along to the vocal, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And he's he's really more about feel and kind of being in the moment. He probably never played any of his songs twice, like the same way. And whereas Andrew takes that delivery, you know, like the sort of like the the funny little Keithisms where there's like a symbol where you don't expect it or like the, mm-hmm. the you know, something fills into the two of the next beat instead of landing on the one. He mm-hmm. does that, but he does it with sort of like a, a power, I want to say. There's mm-hmm. like a confidence. And it's not where it's like this sort of overly produced perfect sound because there is a an element of sort of chaos in what Andrew is sometimes playing. Like here you're listening sure. and you're like, God, is he going to hit the one? Is he going to land on the beat? And he does. Always does. <laughs> Um, and I will say this too. I mean, for those of us who were lucky to see those Phoenix shows a couple of weeks ago, you know, you wouldn't have known that these guys hadn't played a show in almost Fox. two years. Incredible. Like, and I will say this, Andrew was, I mean, everybody was in fine form, but he was like unleashed on the drums. Okay. Like, <laughs> so I don't know if it was just a matter of not having played for a while. But he was adding fills and adding Mm. flourishes and like, you know, where he would normally kind of take a step back and kind of let the band hang. He was just adding shit in. Um, And that's a very Keith Moon kind of thing to do. But again, he was doing it with a power and a finesse that Keith never had, you know, which is why we we talk about Andrew being this, you know, penultimate drummer. It's, um, it's kind of sad that we've never had the chance to see Andrew do drums live for in the movies i mean no offense to chris chris is an incredible drummer oh without a doubt yeah you know even chris can't emulate the fills that are happening on the intro and outro to the song sort of and by outro i mean like that faded in drum segue to the final chorus um because just thinking about andrew you know doing those fills live it it gives me chills it's you know it's the dude is just such a monster on the kit uh, but as you mentioned, it's done in a like deliberate way. It's done deliberately and controlled and poised. Um, and to me, like I said, this is a, a great example of those qualities 
in one of his songs from the catalog. Yeah, it's just outstanding. I mean, the fact that this is sort of like the second song on the record and it's sort of hidden, maybe, you know, engulfed by the fact that there are some other big singles on the record, like Other Man, Feels Good, you know, everybody yeah. knows those songs. In the movies, is kind of hidden in there. Um, but with most albums, especially albums where there's like a big single, I mean, this was me back in the day, like I would buy a record and only listen to the one song that I liked. I would often get pretty familiar with the song that came after it because I would always I would always hear a second of it after I heard That's the song right. I like. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the movies kind of gets that by de facto. But um anyway, you were talking about the drums. Like if anybody's gonna give us a reasonable facsimile of Andrew on the drums, it's fuck Chris Murphy. You know, it's it's those right. two guys. Right. Um But yeah, if you haven't heard it in a while, I keep saying this, go back and check out in the movies, man. Oh, it is a ride. So speaking of a ride. Um, our other track off of Pretty Together, this um, might be a selection in some ways that is the first on our list to raise some eyebrows. So let's listen to the clip. So here we are. Uh, Your dreams have come true. Two thousand one, pretty together. This is a, this is one of my picks. Go for uh, it. In the same manner that I picked, I can feel it from Patrick at the end of Twice Removed. He's in the same position here on Pretty Together, bringing a song to the table that's a little unlike the other tracks. It's got this just sort of like when we've talked about this song in the Pretty Together episode too. But um, it's just sort of a, a vibe completely unlike the rest of the album. Similar to I can feel it on Twice Removed, and for the longest time, same thing. When I got this record, like I loved the whole thing. And I was obviously an early proponent of pick it up and dial it, uh, for anybody who who saw the, uh, live at much to, uh, 2001 episode for us. But this was my, and when the record came out and I was listening to it all the time, this was my song, man. And it is just in, in similar in a way, even to nine, to the marquee in the moon, which we just mentioned a couple songs ago, it it's, it has the word dreams in the title, but it also has a dreamy kind of feel to it. Um, True. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's just this sort of slow kind of plodding. It's the, the, the music, it's just gorgeous sounding. I believe this is Patrick harmonizing with himself, which it we've is. kind of made the joke in the past that Patrick's voice with itself is almost too perfect. Um, <laughs> this is an example of it being used really well. Um, and kind of just puts you in a trance in a way. Like this is the kind of music that I would just, for anybody who's, you know, wanting to put something on in the background or whatever, or just kind of lay down, close your eyes and listen to the band. This is one of those songs. And it just takes right. you to a completely different place. Um, it's a great way to end off pretty together, you know, a way to kind of put a, a button on that whole record um, thematically and musically. It's, it's also and I think you talked about this in, in our uh, Pretty Together episode with Travis, but um, it's sort of that first kind of Patrick alone in his basement, you know, diddling with uh, with arpeggiated synths and drum machine loops and whatever. That's, I think, the first track that we hear in the catalog that goes in that direction, mm, um, yep. where you start to notice that Patrick's own ideas for musical production are starting to bleed in. So it's not like I need to conform to the sound of navy blues or whatever i need to get into that that mm. feeling it's it's very much like i've got my own stuff going on here and at this point in time he's 
experimenting with electronic music. I make that sound as though it's this big drug or something, but um, you know, he's he's already delving into some sort of electronic stuff, and he's DJing or whatever. And um, Destroy Tomorrow Six 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 might be on the horizon. I'm not sure, but um, this is the this is the song that kind of kicks off that um, that uh, subgenre of Patrick Pentland's music. So it's also um, is this the only song on the catalog that has like maybe maybe we can delete this thought later but is this the only song in the catalog that has like three-part harmonies from the very beginning to the very end yeah it might be that, that's a good question jesus it might be uh, we'll have to review it, that give it some thought but yeah i mean like yeah. the vocals here are incredible like i was just saying and again this is a song that's completely into itself it's completely its own universe uh similar in the way that i can feel it was like i was saying and you know it 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 almost doesn't even fit in with the rest of pretty together they they wisely put it after two songs uh you know love a long goodbye from chris giving me back my love from jay those are sort of the palate cleansers from the assault that is mm. the rest of the album mm. um in terms of just like big bombastic rock songs and that kind of thing um and so in that way they're able to kind of shoehorn it into the to the end of the album because it is so mm. different sounding um but uh, yeah just an incredible payoff and i think we mentioned this on the pretty together album pretty together episode rather um you know the little bloops bleeps and blips at the end of the song are very reminiscent of you know electronic music that was popular at the time you know i think he beat i think we talked about him you know beating postal service by about a year and a half yeah to this sound yeah um with it also like the like the analog slash uh digital sounds going on here so you have the arpeggiated synth and that drum loop the like the drum machine loop taking place behind a trumpet you know yeah and i mean again we talked about you know, trumpets not really having a place. Like I've complained in the past about, you know, uh, you know, oh, the treble charger B side featuring tr- the trumpet version, the horn version. Like fuck off, get out of here. Um, when these guys do it, and it Real seems that fish. it's yeah, exactly. When these guys do it, it's always tasteful. Um, you know, everything you've done wrong, and take the bench, and uh, in 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 here, your dreams have come true. Uh, just so tasteful, so beautiful. Um, again, if you haven't heard this one in a while, it's at the, it's all the way at the end of pretty together. Uh, and I was mm. just talking to somebody the other day, I'll just say Julian, who is one of our listeners, um, was saying that, you know, this show kind of got him to sort of re-examine pretty together and Hey, he's a big fan now. And this song occurs at the, at the tail end of that album. So, um, you know, obviously listen to pretty together all the way through, but for for our example today just go right to this song and just enjoy it like close your eyes let it take you somewhere um it's patrick harmonizing with himself you can't beat that uh and it's got such a cool vibe to it anyway so that's why it's one of my picks um it belongs on this list for me because it's definitely for me something that i'd be recommending moving on to uh to our next one track 12 on the sloan cast 30 uh and falling squarely into the category of deep cuts uh this next song i was insistent on having this on the list for me it's a a lyrical masterpiece that is often just obscured within the track list of a criminally marginalized album (laughs) 
Bob, I I can't fucking wait until we get to our action-packed episode um, or episodes or whatever because yeah, like who loves my who loves life more while while this track is on the one hand sort of a great example of that stylistic depth of the band and how you can sort of pull out tracks that you think you forgot about and realize how brilliant they are yeah. um it's also just a great example of chris's ability to write super witty word playish song lyrics like seemingly out of whim like it doesn't sound as though he's put a lot of effort into this song and i'm not i don't mean that in a negative way i mean it in 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 the sense that like this sounds like a song that just sort of came off the tip of chris's tongue one day uh in a fit of inspiration or something you know it's usually chris would do this type of a song in the style of fading into obscurity and in, in, in more of a light style like you'd have pretty sparse musical content or you know sparsely uh, pretty sparsely built up instrumentation um behind kind of more interesting storytelling like lyrics and here you have this like super heavy backdrop and then these kind of funny light-hearted witty lyrics like though i have to confess i blacked out while i was still dressed you know uh though i have to admit in the end i slacked off a bit like it's he's he's taking the piss from himself the whole track um but it's done in such a coherent manner and it just sounds as though it was made to be like the entire song it's one tongue-in-cheek exercise for songwriting but done in such a way and done musically that it sounds like a really heavy duty type of thing right so really an anomaly in the catalog uh and quite frankly maybe one of my top 10 favorite Sloan songs wow that's awesome man yeah i mean it's it's funny like i i really like what you said earlier about it being imagining it being sung over like a fading into obscurity sort of <clears throat> musical landscape if you will um, yeah. It is it is easy to actually imagine that now that you mention it. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of those songs kind of buried on Action Packed. It's right there towards the end, uh, in between I Was Wrong and Reach Out. A couple of incredible Patrick, uh, mm. super catchy songs. Um, and this is this is another one which is so good because I mean, obviously the 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 thesis of Action Packed was them, you know, going to California and working with Tom Rothrock and essentially playing the album the way that they play live, you know, Andrew plays the drums, Chris plays the bass, Patrick and Jay play the guitarist. Um, there's no one guy playing all of his own songs and there's no, mm. you know, doubling up. It, basically the vocals you hear are Chris and Patrick or some combination of yeah, Jay man. and Chris Shoot. and Patrick. Uh, and in a way I, it's, it's so unique and so wonderful to hear that version of the band in a way it's it, it, it having those sort of set limitations, give it a really specific sound, which I love. Like I've always loved action packed and yeah, like you cannot wait to talk about it. And I think we even got a little bit of something from Patrick when we, maybe he was just being kind, but on his episode, he was like, Oh yeah, I'll talk to you guys about action fact. Um, well, he so can maybe, be so kind sometimes and he can be unkind sometimes. Ew. We can you know, maybe <laughs> convince him to join us for an action packed episode, but cause I would love to hear more about this whole story. But um, again, this song, when you watch the um, keeping the tour alive footage is another one of those great ones that just works so well live. And I, and I think that's the, that was kind of the point of action pack too, was to have a record that would be really easy to perform live. Cause everybody, you know, playing it in their, uh, 
you know, sort of key positions live, that's the way it was recorded on the record. So there's no sort of right. like, how does that part go again? Like you played it, you recorded it, you know what the part is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was sort of something that what, what made that record so special and, and, and allowed them to have such power live, that power sure. that you see them playing with in 2005, 2006. Yeah. Um, yeah, just yeah. yeah even, so I, I agree with you. Yeah, fantastic song, and it, it's it's a sleeper. You it's, it, it's and not that you forget about it, but when you get to it on the record, it's like oh yeah, like all the little counter melodies that are going on. Fantastic. Mm. You mentioned Chris and Patrick, and or, or or and or Jay and Chris or whoever um, sharing vocal duties on on the album. It's got that super soaring super voice on the chorus with uh, Patrick's uh, backing harmonies. That's like, I can't remember because I haven't seen this song played be played live since 2004. <laughs> I can't remember how they managed that live because it's just like, that's a huge leap in, in those backing vocals. And it just sounds like the way that it, it bends with the music. Um, that more... Um, anyways, but it, it like musically there's really interesting stuff going on here it's kind of unfortunate that the production of the album masks a lot of that and i know that that's something that we wanted to unpack if we ever did an action-packed episode is that like if they would have had it produced differently how could it have sounded but on the other hand they wanted it produced that way so it does sound that way but anyways i digress um i would recommend this song to any of my wordsmith friends and or um like big wreck fan friends or any any <laughs> fans of bands who are who use you know 700 guitar tracks on their songs <laughs> and the part and for each song that we've talked about there's always like a little snippet of the song that i that i think about when i first think of the song um and for this one and chris has a ten- tendency to do this where he'll always have like a a, a moment or two in the song that are just really kind of special in an odd way. And I love the one line where he says, you know, it's data, but night in the late in the evening, I couldn't help myself. Like that little change and the little mm-hmm. build mm-hmm. in the music there, like that he right. changes that one part of the song and it kind of goes right. back into the chorus again. Um, just a special and unique little moment, musical moment that you get from him. Uh, right. So Yeah love this one love the action packed songs and yeah coming soon to a sloan cast episode so near you action packed part <laughs> one through 35 so a good uh, a good segue to our next track which is mm. from that era um and it's yes. our second second jay ferguson song on this list and the uh, technically the second non-album song on this list if you count at the edge of the scene as an album track which it is in some countries. With Step on a Gene, I feel as though we're beginning to see some of Jay's production prowess come to light. And I know that this is something that he exercised really well on Pretty Together, if you listen to his tracks there. And even if you listen to the sort of vibe of the whole album, you know, following, as I mentioned just just now, a very kind of quote-unquote foreign sound for the band on Action Pact, Jay goes at this track, He, he you know, he created a 
late Beatles direct to console sounding production uh perfectly like this apart from the fact that you hear it's jay singing um this could have been like b-side abbey road and or like a white album era track for the beatles and that guitar solo is just ripped right off of the abbey road medley um you know that's uh tonally and sort of from the style and whatever um it's a fun song i mean it's not like the deepest lyrics or whatever but um it's just from like a pure fun standpoint and as you mentioned beforehand you know we'll get to this this track in this episode this is the track we were referring to beforehand when we talked about chris liking it when jay dials it up a notch um step on a gene uh or you might have been referring to at the edge of the scene but (laughs) for me it's step it's step on a gene it's like this is like and they do play it live occasionally i saw it live at the show that we were both at at the phoenix in 2018 yeah man uh and i fucking flipped out because this is just a banger it's two minutes and like 10 seconds long um you got those those super uh call and response backing vocals so the whole band's in on it and uh and and andrew's just flipping out back there uh, so there's nothing not to like about Step On It, Gene. It's a party in two minutes, um, and it's uh, it's the song that I would be using to attack my uh, my Abbey Road White Album friends. I'll, I'll admit, I, I have another copy of it now, but um, probably almost a decade ago, a good buddy of mine had a, had a kid, a daughter, and at her sort of like, uh, I don't know, they had like a little baby shower i guess prior to the birth and the request was for seven inch singles because this guy's like a big record collector and he kind of wanted to Mm. get his kid gone early i love it uh and so i gave up my original copy of this as my sort of contribution (laughs) yeah and i've I've managed to get my i've managed to get my hands on another copy but this this seven inch is such an outlier to me maybe you can kind of because i've never really understood the story here so this is produced by ian mcgettigan and sloan Mm. July 2003, which I assume is uh, recorded in Toronto. Mm -hmm. This is obviously post-action-packed. So they've already recorded action-packed. And as far as I'm concerned, action-packed has already come out. Um, This is on BMG. So I guess this is, I guess the same setup for that, that they had on, oh, it's a different setup. Okay. It is the same. So Vic, which I think is Sony Vic recordings, BMG, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm is who put out Action Pact. And so there's this weird sort of story that I don't quite comprehend about that the guys technically don't own Action Pact because it's not Murder Records, you know? Um, and so, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, I'm, I'm looking at the artwork for both. It's the same shot of Andrew from the cover of Action Pact is on the cover yep. of the 7-inch. So this yep. is the same photography from Action Pact. But it was Which is, record- by the way, I'm just going to throw this in there. Some of my favorite artwork in the entire oeuvre. Oh, yeah. The cover of Action Pact is just untouchable. I love... Yeah, we'll we'll get to that episode. This is quickly <laughs> becoming an Action Pact episode. But um, So obviously, this was like a promo single to kind of come out in tandem with Action Pact. And to me, like this is sort of Sloan kind of re-usurping back their sort of... Um, like, this is not a, a Tom Rothrock-produced that's it you know release that's it this is yeah. them kind of you do you think that that's what it is it's them kind of just going like here's here's how we do it i mean they couldn't help it because they weren't 
doing it with Rothrock. So for me, it's the natural process of when they get a creative idea and are able to produce it the way they want to. This is how it sounds. And I know that Jay was going after this very particular sound. And that's one of the things for me. And again, I know that it's turning into an action-packed episode, but um, they're all action-packed episodes. Um, for me, it's it's like the thing that makes Sloan Sloan is that it's unity in diversity, right? You have all these different types of sounds going on at once, and somehow the the whole like spectrum of different sounds that you have on one album makes up the sound of the album whereas with action packed it was a very um direct idea at, at the sound that they were looking for that they that they then applied to each of the tracks yeah, so right. what you're getting here is the opposite you know you have a one track release essentially or two tracks but um you know where you can basically do whatever you want so it, it I can imagine the rest of Action Packed being unpacked. Yeah. You know, this to, might be and, the and, answer to your question earlier about what would an Action Pack produced by Sloan sound like? This might be that's it. That's right. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's such a bizarre single because it looks like Action Packed visually, but from a musical, like from audio experience, it couldn't be less like it. Like even the song Step on a Gene, very unlike the rest of Action Packed. Um, from a production standpoint, it's completely mm. the opposite. Um, and it's interesting because the next song on the list is is a is a is a couple of years later, and to me, it but also bridges, a Sony BMG recording. But it bridges musically the action pack to yep. two thousand six, you know, musical style a little bit more even than this one. So it's so crazy that For this sure. is put out in two thousand three. anyone say back-to-back jay ferguson songs and back-to-back non-album tracks this is number 14 right uh so we're getting to the end of part one of sloancast 30 uh and for me like i was just saying a second ago this is the song for me it's a jay song have we already gone to the song have we already played it yet we have okay (laughs) so listener this one you you might not recognize it right away um so the story is 2005 they put out a side wins for sony um and it was a deal done specifically with them. Um, I don't know the exact politics of the situation, but they sort of relented and were like, okay, we'll do a best of. And I mean, and honestly, thank God they did because that A-Side Wins compilation is awesome. And especially mm. the content on the, the DVD, DVD. is so killer. Um, <clears throat> and on that record, they put out two new songs to include, which is sometimes the case, you know, with best ofs, they'll include new songs. Uh, and those new songs were... Um, I'll use it up, thank you, and uh, try to make it from Chris. Uh, and I'll used up had a video and everything, and I love those songs. And I don't know what the continuity is in terms of when those songs were recorded versus these two songs that we're about to reference. But I know that um, that the latter two, which would be this one, the one that we're talking about now, which was "I Thought That I Was Ready for You" by Jay, hmm. uh, and, and another Japanese-only track from Chris called "Tell Me Something I Don't Know," which is another great one. I mean, this was on my short list of songs too. Hmm. Um, were recorded at Sony here in toronto right. i think in liberty you can, specifically you can hear it i'm gonna get i'll get to that later but keep going yeah um so they were included 
on the Japanese release of the A-Sides Win compilation. So not only did the Japanese version include the two new songs all used up and trying to make it, but they had two additional new songs. Right. Uh, thought that I was ready for you from uh, Jay and uh, Tell Me Something I Don't Know from Chris. So <clears throat> this one for me, like I was saying earlier, is for me truly the bridge between action-packed and what we were about okay. to get a year later with uh, Never Hear the End of It. Because musically, right. like just sort of, it's just sort of a pretty steady, regular four on the floor rock beat from Jay. Mm. Um, mm. Very basic and sort of in the vein of Action Packed, where kind of s- simple is best, or sort of like the rule is kind of just keep it simple. Not a whole lot right. of layers, but just, you know, the primary instruments, not a whole lot of additional color. Um, and in this regard, and with Tell Me Something I Don't Know from Chris, which are both great, and again, I assume these are on the forthcoming B Sides Win Volume 3. Um, this is a top J track for me. Like if I had to put together a top 10 for J, like it's a tough call, but, uh, and I'll have a very specific, uh, clip from this song that I want you to play, um, that shows this off, but there's an, there's a, and Jay's always awesome. He's always delivering. You know what I mean? Like we can, Jay's one of the guys you can always count on him. And, but he has a particular dynamism in this song, not mm. only from a stand, a songwriting standpoint, but a vocal performance in this song mm. that is unlike the other tracks. You know what I mean? Like, right. especially in this period, especially mid 2005, he's really ramping up in terms of what he's going to deliver in 2006. Uh, mm. And I love his vocal delivery here. Just some interesting melodic flourishes that you don't normally get. Um, and yeah, just a really catchy song. The title always kind of threw me off because he's got ready for you in there. (laughs) And within the past year or two, they've had a song called ready for you. Uh, it's like, it's like Murph on 12 with, uh, don't stop. It feels good. Do it. It's just like, Oh, he was deliberate. Apparently, you know, Jay wrote this as a response as a less self-assured response to that song. Really? I, I, I love that. I didn't know that. But um, yeah, Apparently. I mean, we're, we're ready for you is sort of Chris at his most rock and roll bombast. And there's another great Don't example hope. of a song that they still play to this day, which is just such a, a staple of the live show. Ready for you is so mm. fucking great. Um, this one, and if they've ever played Thought That I Was Ready For You live, I definitely don't know about it. No. Um, but it's a fucking incredible song and mm. um, a great little example of that these guys B-sides, you know, mop the floor with your other band's A-sides, you know, like, sure. um, so this was included, like I said, on that Japanese only release. And I assume we'll have it on a forthcoming B-sides win compilation, but just incredible. I keep saying the word dynamism, but incredible dynamism from Jay here. A fantastic nice. song. Um, and, and again, I really love just his vocal delivery and that'll be, that's kind of for me, the real selling point with this track. It's such an interesting mix, and I think this this can be said about any of the Sony BMG recordings um, from that two thousand, you know, two thousand three to two thousand five or six era. Um, it's one of the more, inter- like I said, one of the more interesting productions in the catalog. Um, it's more of a commercial mix, I can say, in quote unquote, um, and I don't mean to sound super hipstery here. And I'm, you know, I, I do personally much prefer the mix that we're getting on Never Hear the End of It, just because it's so, you know, it's the fingerprint of this band. But, you know, on, on, on this song, you have such a widespread um, and you have so much space between instruments. And it's also really interesting because you have this, like, this clean sort of mid-heavy bass guitar sound, which is usually uh, 
Sloan's bass is super in the pocket uh in the mix like you can it's hard to distinguish from the, the other instruments and here we are in this song with like a really upfront clean bass sound so just the production of the track is interesting um it doesn't sound all that slony like if you listen to this song and take out jay's lyrics it would be hard i would be hard pressed until the last bit when he's doing little uh piano octaves yeah um at the end i would be hard pressed to say that this is a sloan song and i'm not gonna say that that's a bad thing it just goes to show the chameleon nature of the band like totally this is at the point in time where sloan is starting to I don't think that there's a formula anymore going into the songs. They're really drawing on various influences at this point in their career. Um, And this might even call ahead to, for me, if I were to listen to this song as a neutral observer, um, I would be surprised that it happened as early as 2005. I would think that maybe this came off of, you know, Commonwealth or something. Like it sounds (laughs) of that era. It's really interesting. And to quote Jay Ferguson, nice dead drums. (laughs) It's an enigma. I love that you said that. I mean, again, this has elements of action packed. It has elements of, um, you know, never hear the end of it. Everything okay over there? Yeah, a cork just popped in the background here. Crazy. A cork popped? Yeah, my wife left an empty bottle of uh, champagne on the table. Uh, it's Christmas. And uh, and the cork just went bloomp out, out of nowhere. Crazy. It had been that building up this the, whole time. Scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> Well, good to know everything's okay over there. Um, I'll call the uh, polizai or whatever they're called. Uh, if, uh, <laughs> polizai, yeah. Polizai. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, so so yeah, it's an enigma, it's an enigma of a song. It, it's that perfect for me that bridge between action packed and never hear the end of it. This might be. I mean, obviously the guys have been playing keys and stuff in songs previously, but that sort of like stompy kind of like Jerry Lee Lewis, mm. Little Richard mm. piano that's at the end here. We hear it on Never Hear the End of It. It's coming a year later, you know, and For I don't sure. know if this is sort of the, the beginning of that trend. Um, but again, yeah. like you said, in terms of a track, like the drums and, and, and whatnot, it's very reminiscent of Action Pack. So for me, more For than sure. Step on a Gene, this is that musical bridge. Right. Um, and a fantastic song. Just fantastic. How this didn't end up on a record or something is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Um, we're rounding off our list where, hey, we're... We're almost at the two-hour point here. Mm-hmm. We're rounding off our list with uh, with a track. I think it's great how this list has been set up because if this is the first side of the album, <laughs> I guess if you can fit fifteen tracks onto a side, um, it's such an interesting song to bookend the first half of the band's career. And with. Before, yeah, I want to say before we listen to it, before we play the track, I do want to say that I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago I was working the merch table. People came up to me a couple of times and said, what is that song? What album is that song mm-hmm. on? This mm-hmm. next song is the second example of that. So the first was Marky in the moon. And the second time somebody came up to me and said, what the hell is that? It was this. So many stories I can tell. I had the world under my spell. response to that person was that is fading into obscurity from 2006's never hear the end of it fantastic Um, 
Fantastic is right. Um, Jesus Christ, what can you say about this fucking song? We talked, uh, you know, a couple episodes ago about with Aaron about <laughs> on Double Cross about the Sloan musical or something. I keep coming back to that because this song is one of those songs that has just so many different parts to it, you know, like, mm-hmm. and Chris has been kind of doing this with songs, you know, back to, you know, Navy Blues and stuff was supposed to close the door where songs kind of take a, a left turn. But this song is a journey and it's just one of those special things. It's one of those special songs that is, is unique to this band. There are, I can't, I can't think of other bands that have music like this, that have sort of a quality to it. Um, this totally destroys, like you name your top songwriters of the past, you know, 50 years or whatever. This destroys the post McCartney output. Mm-hmm. This destroys, like, who is your favorite songwriter? You know, Ron Sexsmith, Emmett Rhodes, whoever it is. This completely destroys that shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and and I love all those guys. I love all those songwriters. You know, Brian Wilson and blah 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 blah. But um, there's so much going on here. You know, lyrically, he's talking about kids having to fend for themselves, but there's also subtle humor there. Um, all of the great elements and things that make a Chris Murphy song a reality that are kind of a part of his recipe. This has got that in spades. And for me, I'm, I, I, I think, let me look at my original Sloan 30. This might've been my top Murph song. Um, let me just make sure. Well, it was in terms of, you know, f- songs from this period. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause my list was more like chronological and not like, you know, best versus worst, but on the Chris Murphy list, how, I mean, I don't know how this is not in your top five. Hmm. It's, um, it's exemplary, I think in many ways of his maturation as a songwriter too. I mean, it's not like, you know, we started this list with a Chris song and we're now at the halfway point and we're going to finish this episode with a Chris song. So you can have that, you know, you can see that, um, that process underwhelmed is very bratty as you mentioned yeah and this i think fading into obscurity is a song that could have been very bratty depending on how he um you know went about writing it um or the attitude at which he approached the the writing process i guess is the is the right way to say it but it ended up being like i feel as though it's sincerity masked in lightheartedness yeah. right so there's a the lot Chris of Murphy lightheartedness story. it's the yeah sure there you go but um i'm you know it's not like a it's not like a cry for help or something but it's very much no. this 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 thought of like uh you know looking back now <laughs> do i regret how things have gone or is it kind of an is it kind of an omen like is it is it kind of a is it kind of how things should be you know and that's uh there's a lot of um autobiographical stuff happening in chris's songs you know there's a lot of there's a song called autobiography but um i think in many ways this is one of the best autobiographical chris murphy songs and certainly my favorite of the as i've already said help i'm becoming irrelevant chris murphy songs because it's done in such a relevant way if that makes sense it's it's done in such a um you know this was this is the type of music they needed to write at this very point in their career this is the type of music the self-affirming type of music as a band coming off of a release like action packed like you want to get back to your roots you want to take control of of your own you know destiny as a band 
fucking write songs like fading into obscurity that are five minutes long or that feel like they're five minutes long and that aren't necessarily predestined for commercial radio but are true to what you can do um and that's uh that's where it's at and i want to mention at this point we recently did a instagram for the i think the 15th anniversary on the 16th of um or the 20th of of september Mm -hmm. uh 2021 of never hear the end of it we did a little uh instagram poll of what's your favorite track off of you know if you had to choose one track of these 30 what's your favorite which is almost impossible but yeah which is almost impossible but fading into obscurity was the number one choice of sloancast followers so you know if this is a list for super fans to get their friends into sloan i feel as though the list would not be complete without fading into obscurity and it's and it's interesting it's an interesting thing to think about i mean uh, you know never hear the end of it is just is perfect every song is perfect and amidst those songs i think you know the song kind of pops in where does it originally where does it clock in it's it's towards the beginning of the 30 but um you know uh in terms of looking at the whole career we talked at the the beginning of the show about the fact that 2006 is halfway you know at the midway point between their total 30 years as of as of this recording um uh, it's insane to me to think that this song is you know in that moment for me it's the song where one chapter closes and another chapter opens, you know, like the never hear the end of it. The whole album is, is that I guess in a way, but this song specifically from a musical standpoint, cause it's so fucking untouchable musically, mm. everybody's firing on all cylinders. And if you've ever mm. seen this one live, I mean, seeing Andrew play drums on fading into obscurity, seeing everybody, seeing the guys sing this one and harmonize mm. on it. And, mm. you know, this, the, the, the parts of the song that stop and start and pop and change, um, it's just such a classic piece of music. Like I said, it's completely untouchable. And there is, you know, there's subtle humor. There's there's some, you know, he's kind of taking uh, hits at himself a little bit, being a little self-deprecating. But, you know, by the time you get to lyrics like, um, and I know you don't shrug through my tears, so I'm not going to shed him anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a level of sincerity there where he's not being tongue-in-cheek, you know, and he's talking about i think something that's very real like a very real emotion uh and and then those next next lines and i think we talked about these lyrics specifically on the never hear the end of an episode but out of favor with the flavor of the weeks we'll be fading into obscurity an outsider but in good company um ah like just i'm like welling up just reading that you know hearing that moment in the song in this the song is full of those moments where you're just hit by you know whether it's the piano like hitting on all the, you know, where the song kind of stops and you hear a piano for a moment or mm. um, hearing lyrics like that, the delivery of it to the sincerity in his voice. Like I said, this is the song. This is the turning point where they went from the first half of the career to the second half. And, you know, this song is telling the story of where exactly he's at in that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's outrageous. <laughs> it's a, it's an amazing and perfect song. As though it was predestined to be the, 15th song on the 30 song yeah list it's, it's, of it's the turning bands. the page for us too yeah for sure that's right so yeah i mean we're we're at the halfway point of the sloan cast 30 um i hope that we were able to give you some food for thought um and mm. you know we'll be getting the second half of the sloan cast 30 out to you as soon as possible in the meantime if you agree or disagree with or want to challenge our selections for 
for this list. Remember, the idea is if you have 30 songs to try to explain the band to someone who doesn't really know the band that intimately, what 30 songs are you going to use without resorting to here are the 30 singles? Um, you know, this is this is the idea of the of the Sloancast 30. So, you know, this has been a fantastic anniversary year, and it's not just the 30th anniversary of the band altogether. We've had I never hear the end of it anniversary. I mean, it's an I'm talking about round anniversaries, not about yes. this, you know, 26th anniversary of whatever <laughs> stood up. But um, it's yeah, double cross you know, was 20, and double cross was uh, double cross was 10, uh, pretty together was 20, uh, yeah. octa is 25. So, what a great year for the band, uh, even though you know that uh, for obvious reasons it wasn't. But um, we hope that uh, our uh, ramblings about their about their greatness has helped you enjoy some of their music a little bit more in depth a good year for Sloan appreciation and uh, right. yeah we hope their appreciation to continue into 2022 and uh, yeah thank you so much for going on this journey with us Ken thank you man like I love like I said at the beginning of the episode I'm always excited to talk about the greatest band of all time with you <laughs> and the the feeling can only be what's the right way of saying that in English I was trying to say something in German say it in, in German Sorry. give us the German what would it be in German Ich kann dieses Gefühl eigentlich nur erwidern. Um, oh. The sentiment is mutual. <laughs> Totes mute. Awesome. All right, Totes buddy. Mute. Well, as Sloan fans, you could consider us outsiders as well, but we're in good company. Uh, not only with each other, but, you know, the guys in the band and you as who are listening to this. Um, yeah, let this, the love for the band continue. And uh, we hope everybody, if you don't hear this, uh, if, if part two doesn't come out before the end of the year, we'll say Happy New Year to everybody and hopefully everybody has a Merry Christmas. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for part two of Sloancast 30 next time on Sloancast. See you later. Bye-bye.